You are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right, another week. Oh my goodness, it is now November or Movember. I don't know. Let's get out there and move. It was Walktober, according to a couple of you, and now let's call it Movember. Let's get out there and move our bodies. It is. It's amazing. Life is good. It's crazy. It's unpredictable. It is awesome. So I hope you're doing great wherever you are now that we're in November. It's just, I think it's the exciting times of the year. We got holidays coming up. For me, it's always about family and friends and my favorite vitamin of connection, vitamin C for connection. No, 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 not ascorbic acid. It's vitamin C for connection. I hope you're getting that and hope you will get plenty of that in this upcoming holiday season. One of my favorite times of year. Oh my gosh, what a blessing, what a gift. I am with my mother here in Utah at the moment, visiting her, spending time with her, including right after I record this, we're going out to dinner tonight with the fam. It's going to be amazing. Then I got a quick jaunt out to Florida for a few days. It's been crazy. I've been spending a lot of time in Florida, not just because the weather's amazing this time of year, but I've been working over there and spending a lot of time over there, which has been great because it's been super, super cold in the mountains of Utah. We've had single digit temperatures where we're staying here. And I can't wait to get on that flight tomorrow to warm up a bit and get defrost, right? As we say. So I hope you're doing great wherever you are. I want to thank you for just being here, being part of the show. It's just what I. Ah, love so much. It just tickles me when you let me know how you're doing, how you're learning, how you're loving the show and you're sharing it. I love to see that. In fact, I'm going to share right now a review I got over there on Amazon because it just tickled me. It just dropped last couple of days. This is uh, MB, MB from Texas, from the great state of Texas, five-star review. Uh, From Amazon, it says, very practical and empowering book in the subject line with the exclamation point there. It says, I love Dr. Hemingway and his upbeat practical strategies to live your best life. His enthusiasm is contagious, and I've learned so much from this book and his podcast. Highly recommend. Well, thank you, MB. You will be entered to win another copy, a free copy of my book, which I will personally sign and dedicate. So if you want to get in there with MB and some other awesome folks like Kim Anderson and many others who have dropped a review over there on Amazon or over on Apple, where I also see 100% of those reviews, make sure you rate it and then drop that review in the little box right below the rating that says write a review. And let me know what you're learning. Let me know what you're loving, let me know what you're appreciating. I just love to hear from you. That's what gets me excited, gets me pumped up, gets me wanting to do another show. And in fact, this week I... I actually had the privilege of attending this past weekend a nationwide conference, actually worldwide conference, correct myself there from the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM. There was a worldwide conference and training last weekend where we talked all about oral health of the mouth, of the teeth, of the gums, of the microbiota that lives in the mouth. And it reminded me of this ever so important thing that is literally at the front and center of 
all of our health, which is the microbiota. Many people say the microbiome, which is just the tip of the iceberg. The microbiome is really just the DNA or the genetic material. And so it's much more than that. It's the microbiota, all of the things that live in us, on us, within us, right? From, from as they say, mouth to anus, from the start of our GI tract, all the way down to the butt. That's the whole gut health um, portion of our health. And I'm going to share a little bit about this because we haven't talked about it probably in a couple of years. I know I started this podcast with a couple of episodes, which were amazing. You can go back and re-listen to those. Uh, I believe they were called Change Your Gut, Change Your Life. I also did a couple of recent episodes in the last six months on the things that damage our microbiota or our microbiome, things that we need to try to avoid. I, I don't like to talk too much about things to avoid, but there's a couple of things, right? A couple of things we need to avoid. So if you need to refresh your memory, jog your memory a little bit, go back and re-listen to those episodes in the last couple of months on the things that can harm our gut microbiota, microbiome. And right now today, we're going to get into how we can help it and how it's important, what it does for us. I mean, this is literally one of the most powerful tools that we have to live our best life. And so today's show, I'm so excited to share with you what I really think is the foundation of all health, literally the foundation. In fact, in my book, the whole back half, literally the, the second couple hundred pages, almost 200 pages worth of material on this very important topic of the microbiota or the microbiome. I even have a chapter entitled, Change Your Gut, Change Your Life. And I, I, one of my, my most, I don't know if you want to call it famous or well-known quotes is that I really believe that all health, all health begins in the gut. You know, 2000 plus years ago, an amazing guy by the name of Hippocrates, you guys know him as one of the sort of OG physicians. He said, all disease begins in the gut. And I say, Dr. Hemingway says all health begins in the gut. So I wanted to share with you a little bit on the power of your gut, your microbiota, the things that are so critical, crucial for every area of health, starting up at the top of our heads, right, with our brain, our cranium, <laughs> that is so important. Our brain health ties into so intricately gut health. I mean, you guys have heard of leaky gut. There's also an entity becoming more well-known that they are calling leaky brain because there are tight junctions in the brain. You guys are familiar with that uh, sort of shield, if you will, the force shield, if you're like a Star Trek or a Star Wars fan, shields up, you know, that kind of protects our brain, the so-called blood brain barrier, which uh, exists there to protect this very important vital organ. And this thing, our brain, our cerebrum, our soul, our emotions, all of that, all of that connects with our entire body through a super highway, a super highway of information called the vagus nerve, which is the most, probably one of the most important nerves in the body, literally goes everywhere. Know what happens in this vagus, which is V-A-G-U-S, the vagus nerve, what happens in vagus, absolutely does not stay in Vegas. This nerve goes throughout the body, throughout the gut, the brain. You've heard of this thing called the gut-brain access. So critical, so important, not only for just communication, but just for our overall well-being and our health. And so we're going to get into that this episode in this very podcast where I'm going to share with you the importance of the gut, 
your gut health, your gut microbiota, your gut microbiome, how the gut and the brain talk to each other, what you can do to optimize this because I promise you, you optimize your gut health, your life will change for the better, right? Change your gut, change your life, as I say in the book, so critical, so important, so crucial. And I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to I'm going to share a little bit from the book. We're going to talk about it. And feel free to drop any questions over here um, on my Instagram. That's Dr. Thomas Hemingway, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, or over there on YouTube, the uh, same channel, Dr. Thomas Hemingway. I'll be dropping a, a copy of the show over there. If you follow me on Facebook, Thomas Hemingway, MD, any of the places, you can even email me, alohasurfdoc at gmail.com. Uh, let me know if you have questions. Love to reach out to you. Love to share with you more about what I do personally for my gut health because it is the cornerstone, I believe, of all health. Remember this, all health begins in the gut. So let's get into it. Your gut bacteria literally makes up a diverse balance of colonies of healthful strains of good bacteria and also hopefully less of the bad bacteria, less of the so-called firmicutes, phyla, if you're familiar with that, and more, I hope, of the bacterioidetes. For example, maybe you've heard uh, some of the influencers out there say, if you want to be firm and cute and tight and lean and muscular and not be you know, overweight or what have you, you need to ditch or get rid of the firmicutes, phyla of bacteria. These are the not so awesome ones that live in our gut and get more of the bacterioidetes. We gotta, we gotta shift the ratio more towards the good, helpful, and healthful bacteria. We're gonna talk about that today because when it's shifted a little bit the other way, maybe you have too many of the firmicutes and those other not so helpful bacteria, you can have something called dysbiosis and a problem uh, that goes along with that is, as you know, leaky gut. So we'll get into that in just a second. But this balance between sort of the, the helpful guys and gals, the good guys and the not so good guys in the gut, if you have it tipped towards your favor, this balance reduces cravings for unhealthy foods and what we call neurohumoral bacterial sabotage. <laughs> Sabotage, right? The whole Beastie Boys, sabotage. <laughs> Any Beastie Boys fans out there love the Beastie Boys. Saw them once in Hawaii. Gosh, I don't know if it was like 30 years ago. I don't know if they're even still uh, playing, but uh, shout out Sabotage. But we literally have neurohumoral signals from these gut bacteria that can sabotage our brain and literally tell us what to eat or what not to eat. And if our gut is not balanced and we don't have enough of the good guys, so to speak, we have maybe some of this dysbiosis. These gut bacteria literally are telling our brain, sabotaging our brain through chemical, neurohumoral chemical and neurotransmitter-like substances, sending text messages, if you will, to our brain saying, hey, eat this, you know, eat more of those Oreos and Doritos and Tostitos and Takis and all these things that help with their health to our own demise. They don't help with us, but they help for their bacterial health of the species that we don't really want, those that are predominating during that phase that some of us go through called the bacterial uh, dysbiosis of the gut, or maybe SIBO, the small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, which we'll touch on as well. So this bacterial sabotage, neurohumoral bacterial sabotage, you can avoid if you tip the scales in your favor by balancing your gut. And this sabotage can actually alter mood. It can make you feel cravings for things that aren't healthy. When you eat the less uh, healthy 
things that, that fuel the, the not-so-healthy bacteria. They send these chemical messages to your brain, making you crave that hyperpalatable junk food. And once again, this is not, absolutely not, lack of willpower or lack of self-control, but proven science of what's happening down in the gut. Now, beyond the roles of immune function, digestion, metabolism, and vitamin and nutrient production, the role of gut microbiota in brain health and endocrine and cardiovascular health, for that matter, are beginning to now finally be understood. Nearly every physiological function has an important interaction with our gut health. The root and presence or absence of disease can often be found in our output. So let's get into how we can optimize our gut health. So to do so, we don't have to get dirty. <laughs> we don't have to, you know, do like the, uh, anybody have a dog or a cat out there and they're sniffing and smelling and tasting their poop? I mean, we don't have to get quite so interactive, <laughs> at least not yet. But if we fail to take advantage of these tools to promote our own gut health and we succumb to SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and dysbiosis, there is always the extreme option of having a poop transplant. <laughs> have you guys heard of that? Oh, I hope we don't have to go there, but that's, that's a thing, right? They're making poop pills now. They're manufacturing poop pills, literally, of, of healthier strains of bacteria that people can ingest, or they can put a tube right down your nose and into your stomach and intestinal tract to literally transplant you. This is called a fecal transplant with healthier gut bacteria. Now, just, just as a personal note, I'd, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather feed the good bacteria so they proliferate so I don't need one of these poop transplants or fecal transplants. But that's, that's always an option. I think most of us can agree that we probably wouldn't want that drastic thing to have to come into play in our, <laughs> in our treatment of gut dysbiosis or SIBO, the so-called fecal transplant. So instead, I have some top gut health tips for you to follow. So you ready? Let's get into it. Let's go. So number one, why, why should you even care? Why should you care about your poop? Like, why should you care? So when Hippocrates said over 2,000 years ago that all disease begins in the gut, he may not have been too far off. Considering that we, what we eat affects almost every aspect of our health and that the foods we consume have intimate contact with the gut by literally passing directly through it, this statement makes complete sense. In addition, tremendous connections are rapidly being discovered regarding the role of our gut microbiome, specifically our gut bacteria and other flora, which make up our collective microbiota, which directly impacts a number of diseases versus hopefully healthier states within our bodies. So why should one care about these microscopic bacteria? The fungi, also the protozoa, viruses that only make up a couple of pounds in our intestinal tract, in our daily excrement, right? Maybe three to five pounds of poop in us at any given point in time. Maybe we weigh like I do, 150, 160 pounds. Like this is not even 5% of our entire weight. Why should we care? Well, they literally make up in volume of both the number, as we mentioned, the number of DNA or genetic material, that's the so-called microbiome, that outnumbers us maybe 10, maybe 100 times to one. And then just sheer numbers, if you count the number of organisms, both bacteria, viruses, protozoa, all of these that live in us, on us, within us, they outnumber us. Maybe not by what was originally thought to be 10 to 1, 100,000 to 1, it may be just you know, one and a half times to one or something like that, but they do outnumber us. There are literally more of them 
than there are of us. Think about that for a second. You are more bacteria and fungus, viruses, protozoa than you are human by the numbers, both by numbers of organisms, right? If we compare the number of them, their cells versus our human cells, and by the number or amount quantity of genes or genetic material, we are more them than we are us. So do you think it matters? Absolutely. It absolutely matters. And we need to pay attention. And we're going to get into that, how we can do that. All right. So previously, it was estimated that these non-human cells, bacterial, viral, fungal, outnumbered us by up to a thousand or more to one. However, more recently, they seem to be on par, at least with the number of human cells that make up our human body. In either case, we are, as mentioned, as much bacteria, viruses, fungi as we are human. So considering that we are maybe only at least half human <laughs> by the number of cells and greatly outnumbered in the terms of the genes, there are at least 150 times more genes in our foreign microbiome from the bacteria, fungi, viruses than there are human genes. And we are inundated with foreign matter, the foreign material that we eat, right? We should probably pay a little bit of attention to these organisms that make up our microbiome and microbiota. What do you think? I think so. So besides the fact that we're clearly outnumbered by the genetic material and the number of foreign cells that make up our respective microbiome and microbiota, recent scientific data suggests that these microscopic organisms play a significant role in our health. For example, Chronic diseases such as the inflammatory bowel-related Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, as well as type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, colorectal cancer, have all been shown to have connections to the gut and the gut microbiome. Not surprisingly, the microbiome, which is the combined makeup and genome of all these microorganisms, it's largely dependent on environmental and not genetic factors. For instance, identical twins, right, that have the same exact DNA, genetic material, they do not necessarily have the same microbiome, which is the DNA or genetic material of all those organisms that live in them, on them, or within them. In other words, it matters more what the environmental factors and behaviors are at play, such as what we eat and how we interact with our environment than what genes and microbiome we inherit. We are in control of these factors. Therefore, we are in control of our microbiome and the resulting disease or health that ensues to a significant extent. The empowering notion excites me as we are not bound by this microbiome. We can actually decide. We can decide by our habits and our behaviors what its makeup contains, Though we cannot change our inherited human genome, right? That's just what's given to us by mom and dad. We can't change that, the human genome. We can change this acquired microbiome or this acquired genome through the actions we take. And remember, this genetic material actually outnumbers our human genetic material. And we have literally, at the end of the day, control over this. So health or disease truly does begin in the gut. <laughs> Let me give you an example. In the Nature article by Rothschild et al., 
They titled it Environment Dominates Over Host Genetics and Shaping Human Gut Microbiota. They showed here that the phenotypes, which are what they observed, the observed characteristics of body size or body mass index, BMI, waist to hip ratio, fasting, glucose levels, glycemic status overall, and cholesterol levels such as HDL, LDL are significantly correlated to one's microbiome, like the gut does matter. This came out of that respected, highly respected, one of the premier worldwide journals in the scientific literature known as Nature. So this is to say they discovered here, and expressed it in this article in Nature, that the makeup of gut microbiome and those who they studied was a major determinant of their weight, their blood sugar status, in other words, their metabolic health, and even their cholesterol levels. So this provided proof that our individual microbiome is largely dependent upon our choices of what we eat, what we do, and what we don't do. Let me read that title again. Environment dominates over host genetics in shaping human gut microbiota. And we are in charge of our environment. We get to decide. So take this detailed case of a twin study that was performed in the U.S. that was also reported in the same prestigious journal Nature where it was found that the diversity of the gut microbiome correlated well with either obesity or lean status rather than simply with a genetic predisposition of being twins. They found that all across the twins studied, they had over 150 pairs of twins. This is an amazing study that they've used for lots of amazing uh, research information that we've learned, whether it be mono, uh, monozygotic or dizygotic. And they tended towards, in the study, they, these twins that tended towards being ob overweight or obese was actually directly correlated to lessening or diminishing diversity of their microbiome. Conversely, the lean twins, even in the pairs where one twin was lean and the other may have been overweight or obese, they tended to have a more diverse microbiota. So what was literally predictive of if they were thin and lean or if they were overweight was not the genes, it was their gut microbiota. And what makes up that? It's what we do, what we don't do, our environment, what we eat, what we don't eat, the timing, the other things, right? We know so well, whether we sleep well, our stress optimization, all of these things play into our movement, play into the health of our gut. And so we want to have what these lean twins had was a diverse microbiota. So once again, diversity matters, especially in the gut. Furthermore, with the human microbiome, when it was given to naive mice, right, the ones that, that uh, they were studying, they literally gave them a poop transplant, a fecal transplant from either a lean twin or an obese twin. They just gave them the poop from that individual. They adopted, these mice adopted the phenotype of the twin of origin despite being fed the exact same diet, both in calories and mac nutrient makeup. This is phenomenal. So in other words, they had mice that were given the same exact diet. In one group, they got the fecal or poop transplant from the overweight uh, human twin. And in the, the lean twin, they took the poop, the stool from that, and they put it in a different group of mice. And those that got the poop, the microbiota, if you will, the bacteria 
viruses, fungi, you know, all the things from that lean twin. They got the poop transplant from the lean twin. Guess what? They stayed lean despite having exactly the same diet of the mice that got the microbiota or if you will, the poop transplant from the overweight mice and they became obese or overweight. It was in the poop. It was literally in the microbiota in these organisms that they were able to affect tremendously whether they were lean or overweight. It was actually not, in this case, it was not the food, if you will, because they had the same exact food, the same exact macronutrients, the same number of calories. So your gut health matters, not just to determine whether you're lean or overweight, but all of the things, like literally, as I mentioned, all health begins in the gut. So in other words, when the mice were given the stool transplant of the lean twin, they became lean. And when they got the stool from the obese when they became obese, despite the fact that both groups had the exact same number of calories and the exact same diet. Like this is phenomenal stuff. If you don't think gut health is important, like read this study and it literally is mind boggling to see this tremendous difference found in the gut, in the microbiota. So you want your gut microbiota and the genes expressed there, which are the microbiome to be as diverse as possible. Diversity is best achieved by an appropriate amount and mix of natural, real foods in your diet working in tandem with healthy behaviors. So diversity, of course, is not just the, the spice of life in our activities and in all the things that we like to do and see and accomplish, but in our food and in our gut. Diversity is indeed the spice of life. Ah, amazing stuff. Another study from 2019 from the British Medical Journal that was reported a similar trend, excuse me, the British Journal of Nutrition in 2019 concluded as related to the diversity of the microbiome, they had similar results with respect to body weight. The researchers evaluated the diversity of gut microbiome in college students and found it to be inversely correlated with weight gain. So as the weight increased and trended towards obesity, in these college students, the amount of diversity in the gut bacteria inversely proportional, right? It decreased. So less diverse tends to be equal to, generally speaking, the trend of becoming overweight. More diverse, better chances of being lean and also healthy. The converse showed that lean students had more diversity in the gut microbiome. So diversity truly is the spice of life. Also for our microbiota, the health of our gut indeed matters, just as Hippocrates uh, proposed 2,500 years ago. So how do we attain this greater diversity? How do we get more of these good gut bacteria, the bacterioidetes and less of the other, the firmicutides? It all starts where? At the end of your fork. You are in control because what you feed will breed. In other words, the groups of bacteria you prefer to feed will grow and spread throughout your gut, ultimately affecting your entire body through the downstream effects of gut health. Without delving too deep into the weeds, if you will, of how every food type affects the gut, and they all likely do in some way, let me share with you some common threads that will give you the tools to make great choices when creating your new menu. Remember, the goal is to healthily feed yourself and by extension, your gut microbiota. So let's go. I, I just want to share with you this next section, which is really groundbreaking, earth-shattering stuff. It's about how your gut bacteria may actually be sabotaging your waistline. Remember when I made those opening comments about the neural, humoral sabotage, like the Beastie Boys, like how this happens? We're going to get into it because a high, a diet which is high in processed foods, especially refined 
carbs, right, and sugars, and the industrial seed oils, right? Those are the big three we always talk about avoiding. That's really only thing that you have to avoid, those three things, the highly processed grains and flours, highly processed sugars, right? All the sugars, whether they be high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup, agave nectar, brown rice syrup, doesn't matter. Avoid all the highly processed grains as well as highly processed sugars. And you avoid the highly processed seed oils. And if you do that, literally, you're going to be avoiding most other things as well because they tend to also have piggybacked with them a lot of other not so awesome ingredients, whether they be additives, whether they be preservatives, not, you know, artificial flavors, colors, sweeteners, whatever the case may be. They typically go along with those three highly processed things, the highly processed grains, highly processed sugars, and highly processed seed oil. So you avoid those three Usually you can avoid most all of these highly processed ingredients that are not awesome for your health because they are sadly most commonly found in our Western diet, which is the sad diet or the standard American diet, which generally leads to decreased diversity and decreased gut health. More of those firmicutes and less of the bacterioides. So right now it is estimated the Western diet comprises over 60% highly processed or even ultra processed foods present day. And this has even increased since COVID. It's in kids, it's almost 70% ultra processed food. Sadly, this number is reported very high, even higher in children, where up to 67% of their diet comes from processed foods. These numbers should frighten you. Yet simultaneously, they should instill in you the courage to not be part of this sad, sad statistic. Not only does a highly processed carbohydrate-rich diet lead to less diversity in the gut, but also a greater probability of increased intestinal permeability, the so-called leaky gut. A leaky gut leads to leaky brain, which is basically all an additional inflammatory state. Leaky gut leads to increased inflammation in the gut and the body by boosting these markers such as causing what's called endotoxemia and its associated inflammation due to the bacteria and their associated toxins crossing these gaps in the lining of the gut and into the bloodstream through these leaky junctions, which are caused literally by poor dietary choices. These highly processed foods, they make those, those junctions between the cells. There's literally one cell thick lining, a super thin, ultra thin lining that ex that separates the outside world of everything we put through our GI tract and the inside world, which is basically our bloodstream, one cell thick. And they are stuck together with these things called tight junctions. And when we eat inflammatory foods, especially the highly processed grains, flours, sugars, right? The seed oils, all these things, they cause these junctions to relax and get leaky. And then foreign particles, partially digested food, even bacteria themselves, their toxins, so-called endotoxins, LPA, LPS, lipopolysaccharide, these things can seep through the gaps, can literally get into our bloodstream and wreak havoc on our immune system throughout the entire body, super inflammatory. That is why the ultra-processed foods, the standard American diet, if you will, is so inflammatory, so toxic for our cells. So this contributes to a myriad of chronic diseases such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and even cancer. The SAD diet or standard American Western diet consists of many processed foods, as mentioned, over 60%, which also contains added sweeteners, additives, and other unhealthy chemical ingredients. These are often manufactured using very highly processed fats like the seed oils and hydrogenated oils, the fats that have been shown to lead to an unhealthy bacterial ratio or dysbiosis, Leaky gut, 
and chronic inflammation, which contributes to myriad of health conditions. In a 2018 article from the journal Nutrients, Zenaker and colleagues discussed this newly discovered phenomenon. At length, they argued that the processed nature of the Western diet or the standard American diet is highly involved in an increase incidence of obesity and metabolic disease. The highly processed characteristic of the Western diet, in addition to the large number of additives, i.e. processed oils, artificial colors, flavors, emulsifiers, and sweeteners, has shown to be extremely pro-inflammatory while playing a major role in altering the composition of gut microbiota, leading to the dreaded condition of dysbiosis. Interestingly, the gut bacteria favored by these highly processed foods, which are very dense in calories, though simultaneously nutrient-poor, likely also contribute to both weight gain and dysbiosis. They literally sabotage the signaling that occurs between the gut and the brain. Let me explain. Remember those less favorable bacteria? Remember the uh, Firmicutes? They care only about their survival. So they send signals to the brain, encouraging carbohydrate and processed food cravings in order to promote their own survival and longevity, not caring at all about the resulting propensity towards inflammation, dysbiosis, obesity, metabolic disease, inflammatory conditions. Remember, it is simply for their survival. And we will suffer from the collateral damage. A landmark paper in the journal Bioassays details how specifically these gut bacteria, in order to promote their own survival, manipulate literally manipulate our cravings through these neurochemical signaling pathways. Firmicutes has been shown to do this by several fascinating mechanisms. They can actually produce these chemical messengers themselves that, that generate cravings in our brain for certain foods to either promote their growth and fitness or to suppress cravings of healthier things. They can make you less likely to crave the things that we should be eating, right? Like the phytonutrient-rich foods, like the, my favorite, the asparagus and the broccoli and the Brussels uh, sprouts, etc., or pomegranates and things like that. <laughs> Says they can produce the chemical messengers that generate cravings for certain foods or to suppress the cravings of, of the foods that we should be eating. That would help their competitors, the good guys, so to speak, like the more healthful and helpful bacteria, Acromancia. Acromancia, in fact, is one of my favorite bacteria, Acromancia mucinophila. It likes that mucin layer, that sort of protective lining. What's interesting is it hangs out there. It kind of chews on that mucin layer, and it encourages the intestinal cells to produce more of it. So when they're hanging around, those intestinal, what they call enterocytes, remember that single-cell thick layer? They'll produce more of this mucin, which will even better protect our gut. In fact, there's a company nowadays that's trying to market this specific uh, probiotic out there because it has been shown to be so increasingly helpful and you don't have to, you know, buy this fancy probiotic. In fact, I think at least to date, I think there's just one company that offers it, but you don't have to actually, you know, buy that. You can eat the foods that it likes, right? All those probiotic rich foods that are amazing, which are things like asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, Jerusalem, artichokes, the fruits like pomegranate. I, I personally love pomegranate right now. I don't have it available in the mountains of Utah, so I'm taking a pomegranate extract, which can increase the colonies of this Acromancia mucinophila because it's been shown to be associated with better health overall, better gut health, uh, more lean status, more energetic status, even even a, a improvement in mood like this affects so many amazing things, and it's all about what we feed because what we feed will breathe. So the Firmicutes, which are the not-so-helpful ones, they've also been shown to cause actual 
sort of depressive type symptoms, dysphoria, to the point where we finally, we just give up altogether on eating the foods that they want us to. So <laughs> do you follow this theme here? These bacteria, the less helpful ones, they want to multiply too. And if they multiply because we eat the highly processed, sad, center American diet, ultra processed food diet, they win. If we eat them, they multiply and they win. And your journey to gut health continues to be compromised if you eat these processed foods because they increase the presence and growth of the harmful bacteria. Now, the junk food craving that we have, it's not necessarily our own. The gut bacteria are capable are capable of literally hijacking our brain through the vagus nerve, which is that main gut-brain connection that we were talking about, to promote their own survival at the expense of our diminished health. So these sort of not-so-good bacteria are literally capable of manipulating the reward pathway and the satiety pathways in the brain that make us literally crave these unhealthy foods. So it's not you. It's not you being weak. It's not lack of willpower. It's science. It's these bacteria because we are feeding them. If we're feeding them chips or, or cookies, crackers, breads, you know, highly processed pastas, these kinds of things, then they will multiply and they will send signals to increase the probability that we will eat more of these foods so they will continue to multiply. It's not you being weak. It's not lack of willpower. It's none of that. It's physiology. It's science. And it all resides in the gut. They also produce toxins that can alter our mood and even promote changes in our taste. They can literally affect our taste. So no, it is not that we are weak. It's not that we lack willpower or self-control. It's science. And so yet another way that we can be manipulated by the physiology of our gut bacteria, unless, unless we do something about it. So let's talk just briefly about the artificial sweeteners like Splenda, which is sucralose. And it's been used in the U.S. for quite some time. You may enjoy it in your coffee or your tea or your go-to iced tea drink. Well, sadly, it's also been shown to adversely affect the microbiome. And it leads to increased inflammation. In fact, all the studies I reviewed for the writing of my book demonstrated some degree of negative effects of artificial sweeteners. I couldn't find any that showed that they were beneficial. Not one. In fact, in the journal Frontiers in Physiology, Bain and colleagues looked at acceptable, so-called, so-called acceptable intakes of sucralose. And they found that the compound not only increased tissue inflammation and elevation of the pro-inflammatory gene expression, but it also led to liver inflammation or hepatitis. Others, such as saccharin or sweet and low, presented similar behavior for the gut microbiota and, and had been linked to things like gut dysbiosis and a decrease in the good guys, the beneficial strains like acromancia mucinophila. Remember, we want acromancia mucinophila. It's a very beneficial strain of gut bacteria. We want it to help with weight loss and leanness, improved mood, decreases in inflammatory disease, as well as decreases in insulin resistance. We want acromancia. So we want to hang on to it and we don't want to crowd it out by the bacteria that are supported by ultra-processed foods and artificial sweeteners. Yet, remember, all artificial sweeteners interrupt the presence and the performance of these desired good bacteria like acromancia. Recently, acromancia was studied in relation to obesity and was discovered to be directly linked to weight loss. Improvement of insulin sensitivity, de decreasing insulin resistance, increased metabolism, and decreased... What, what a panacea! Decreased inflammation, decreased weight, better metabolic parameters, all from this... Little bacteria in our gut, acromancia, like that's amazing. It also helps preserve this barrier that we talked about, the mucosal mucin barrier, and it helps prevent leaky gut. 
right? That increased intestinal permeability that we don't want. It helps prevent it. So, so we want to not only save the acromancia that we've got, but we want to increase their survival, promote their growth, and we do it with those healthy prebiotic foods that we mentioned, those fibrous, rich asparagus, Jerusalem artichokes, my favorite, Brussels sprouts, right? And all the, the, the fibrous containing vegetables, fruits, eating the whole fruit, right? Trying to not so much drink juices, but eat the whole fruit because we get the fiber too. Pomegranates are great. Green tea is even great in this regard with respect to this bacteria. It has lots of helpful so-called phytochemicals. Yet the perils of the Western diet and its dependence on the artificial ingredients doesn't simply stop with the sweeteners. Other studies looked at that NutraSweet, which is aspartame, it also had negative effects on the microbiota. A May 21, uh, 2021 study reported in the journal International Journal of Molecular Sciences discussed the artificial sweeteners and their effect on the gut microbiota, and they suggested that all three of the most commonly used sweeteners, the saccharin, aspartame, and sucralose, had negative impacts on gut health. In fact, there were even directly pathogenic or harmful effects on two of the most common gut bacteria like E. coli and Enterococcus fecalis, the sweeteners showed an increase in the biofilm, making these not-so-awesome bacteria more virulent, right? Because it kinda like, it's kind of like a force shield that they create for themselves, and they would do so in the presence of these sweeteners. So it made them even more potentially destructive and harder to, to crowd out, eradicate, or kill because they make more of this biofilm when exposed to the artificial uh, sweeteners. So these sweeteners generally regarded as safe or grass, right? That we've talked about the grass status. They can still wreck <laughs> our microbiota at levels that make us increasingly susceptible to infection, to microbial invasion, to systemic inflammation, leaky gut, even liver inflammation, which can set us up for a myriad of health issues. So I, I don't want any part of this. I I don't think you want to either, but remember next time that you want to reach for one of those artificially sweetened or low calorie bubbly beverages, <laughs> remember that potentially this could be wrecking your gut. So take a moment, maybe contemplate this, maybe just substitute it for a little water, maybe a little water with fizz, a little sparkling water that doesn't have any artificial sweetener in it, and maybe just trickle a couple drops of lemon juice. That's kind of my go-to, lemon or lime juice, a couple drops in like a Pellegrino or something like that, sparkling water. When I want that sort of bubbly, bubbly fix. <laughs> well, it doesn't end there. And we're going to be wrapping up, but I just want to share that it's, sadly, it, it's not over there with just the artificial sweeteners, right? There's things called emulsifiers, um, these kind of help, you know, keep the food, if you will, smooth, right? So it sort of stays uh, creamy and things like that. So emulsifiers also have been shown to have harmful effects. There was a study reported in Nature where even small, just very small concentrations of the t of two of the most commonly used emulsifiers, like carbomethyl carboxymethylcellulose and polysorbate 80, they also cause inflammation and they play a role in obesity and metabolic syndrome. So look out for those carboxymethylcellulose, CMC, carboxymethylcellulose, as well as polysorbate 80, because these emulsifiers have been shown to adversely affect the gut health and not only decrease their diversity, which is what we want. We want the diversity, but it also has been shown to increase a pro-inflammatory state showing increases in lipopolysaccharide or LPS and endotoxin, which is well known to cause significant inflammation, even leaky gut and many of the chronic inflammatory conditions like obesity, type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and even cardiovascular disease. In fact, most experts would recommend a diet that does not elevate these endotoxin or LPS levels. 
and to try to avert these dangerous and even potentially deadly conditions through eating a whole foods anti-inflammatory diet, i.e. let's just avoid these highly processed things. Like I mentioned, the, the big three, the highly processed grains, flours, sugars, and the seed oils. And usually piggyback to those highly processed things are the artificial sweeteners, colors, and all these sorts of things as well, which also wreak havoc on the gut. So I, dec- I definitely recommend caution in in your diet. And just remember at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Uh, I mean, you don't need a big long list. You don't have to worry about, you know, every little thing, but if by and large you can use a real, a whole foods diet, you will be grateful. Not only you'll feel better in the short term, but you will literally decrease your inflammation, decrease the likelihood of these inflammatory conditions, and you will increase your energy. It's amazing. Gut health has truly changed my life. And I didn't even get halfway into the first chapter I was reading from my book, Preventable, which I'm showing all those folks on YouTube right now, Preventable, five powerful practices to avoid disease and build unshakable health because I believe all health begins in the gut. So make sure you grab your copy today of my book, Preventable, still available on Amazon. Oh my gosh, what a story that was. If you don't know that story, you got to go and re-listen to a couple of my previous podcasts. Literally, the thing was gone for a couple of weeks from Amazon. It is back. It is here to stay. It is such an amazing read because it will provide the tools that you need to simply and strategically and powerfully affect your life to the positive so you can learn to thrive not simply survive life. So thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for being a part of this movement to bring natural health to the masses. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for dropping a review because I'm going to be drawing up a couple of your names real soon. So until next time, a big giant aloha.